Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and this is ITG's ABCs, a podcast feature on which I like to recap and comment on anthology and backup comic stories. This time out, I'm going to be taking a look at a three-part backup serial running through issues 181 through 183 of Star Spangled War Stories, cover dated August through December 1974. This story pits two of my favorite DC war heroes against one another, World War I fighter pilots Hans von Hammer, the enemy ace, and Steve Savage, the balloon buster. I actually covered this serial in three separate blog posts a few years ago, but I enjoy occasionally circling back and revisiting stories that helped inspire this little project of mine, so... If you want to skip the audio commentary, you can go check out those blog posts at imthegun.blogspot.com. I think I wrote those back in very early 2015. So in this three-parter, writer Robert Conniger, creator of both characters, finally matches his two World War I aces against one another, along with artist Frank Thorne. Conniger debuted his noble, patrician Hans von Hammer, with artist Joe Kubert in the February 1965 issue of Our Army at War. And right from that very first story, the enemy stood out amongst Kaniger's many DC war heroes. First, he was a pilot for America's enemy in World War I. It was unusual to see the war, whether World War I or World War II, from the enemy's perspective. Von Hammer wasn't a cruel, shrill goose-stepper like you might find in many German characters in war comics at the time. He was, he was actually portrayed as being at odds with and weary of his profession. He was good at what he did, exceptional even. He was an expert pilot in the earliest days of air combat, and he was seen as a killing machine, increasingly isolated from his comrades as his body count got higher and higher. But being a killer wasn't a role Von Hammer relished. He did it out of duty. And his duty carried him through a decent run of solo adventures, including a two-part tryout in Showcase, and his longest run, a two-year stint in the very title I'll be talking about here, Star Spangled War Stories. Enemy Ace headlined this title until he was pushed out by the Unknown Soldier. Debuting about a year after Enemy Ace... Kaniger and artist Russ Heath introduced us to Steve Savage the Balloon Buster. Though there were a couple of similarities between Von Hammer and the equally ostracized by his comrades Savage, there were, there were ways in which the characters couldn't be more different. Where Von Hammer was cool and mannered, American pilot Savage was wild and undisciplined. He bristled under authority, outright disobeying orders, earning an additional nickname, the Maverick Ace. Savage wasn't the skilled pilot that Von Hammer was, but he made up for it with balls and expert marksmanship. Where Von Hammer, who also had a second nickname, the Hammer of Hell, was driven by a sense of duty and killed for his country, Savage was driven by an enormous chip on his shoulder. Always simultaneously trying to break from and confirming his reputation as an uneducated white trash saddle tramp, as he's often referred to himself. And he did seem to enjoy his role as warrior and a killer 
in a way Von Hammer never did. Savage's tenure as a lead feature was not as successful as the enemy aces. His original run of appearances lasted only four issues of All-American Men of War before he was relegated to very occasional backup feature. But I get a sense that by the time it happened, Robert Conagher had been itching to match up his two aces for quite some time. It was established pretty early on, in Steve Savage's second appearance, in fact, that he and Von Hammer occupied the same airspace. Savage's commanding officer in that story, compares him to that other, quote, born killer, the enemy ace. And sometime later, in a Star-Spangled War Stories framing sequence, Kaniger has Von Hammer introduce the only reprint of the Bloombuster's first appearance. And about two years later, the pair makes a tiny, tiny cameo appearing separately in the background of a Star-Spangled War Stories backup by Kaniger and Frank Thorne, which seemed to be kind of a warm-up or tryout for this episode's feature three-parter. In a letter column answer in that issue of Star Spangled, editor Archie Goodwin hints at a near-future story by the same artistic team, Kaniger and Thorne, where the two pilots would actually meet. And the fruits of that labor, I'm excited to recap for you now. Parter called collectively Hell's Angels, named no doubt for the 1930 Howard Hughes World War I dogfight film, begins in issue 181 of Star Spangled War Stories under a Joe Kubert cover. Cover star is lead feature The Unknown Soldier, but the bottom quarter or so announces, also in this issue, the enemy ace flies again. It's by the team of, as I said, Robert Conagher, Frank Thorne, edited by Archie Goodwin, Conagher and Thorne had previously worked together on an outstanding couple of years of Tomahawk, seeing that series from the Revolutionary War adventures of Tomahawk and his Rangers, through a change in focus to stories about Tomahawk and his family in the nascent Old West. This chapter of Hell's Angels is called Hammer of Hell, and that's fitting as its narrative is told from the perspective of Hans von Hammer. Uh, but that's after a great opening page telling us exactly what's in store. The stars of the serial are reintroduced in two half-page panels, split by a diagonal. Hans von Hammer, supreme German ace of World War I, who hated what he did best, killing. And Steve Savage, maverick American ace of the Western Front, who liked what he did best, killing. 
So right away, Kanegar and Thorn shine a light on the dichotomous relationship between these two pilots. With panel layout in the splash page that really isn't a splash, the way it's divided into two large diagonal panels by the aces planes shooting each other in a game of aerial chicken. The expressions on their faces, Von Hammer a grim sourpuss and Savage a cruel grin. And even with lettering, the way the words hated and liked are emphasized in bold in describing each pilot's relationship to their profession. It's such a really an effective opening. The beginning of the narrative kind of reinforces Von Hammer's struggle with his work. He downs a British pilot, but is that night troubled by nightmares. Dreams have often in the past accused him of being nothing but a killer. A killer. It doesn't help his rest any that the following morning, an American biplane is wreaking havoc on Von Hammer's dawn patrol over the German airfield. Von Hammer makes note of the fact that the American pilot doesn't maneuver so much as stampede like an angry bull. When the American shoots down one of the German planes, pilots on the ground want to rush to their aircraft, but they're stopped by Von Hammer, calling this a duel between gentlemen, and they should be left to it. Though he pulls his goggles down in what I think looks like a very Kubert-esque panel by Thorne, maybe a tribute of some sort. And Von Hammer takes to the air in his signature red Fokker triple-wing plane to enforce what he sees as the rules of combat. The American we see in his cockpit sporting the distinctive combination of a bandana neck wrap, flight goggles, and a white cowboy hat, but a decidedly 70s hairstyle, blonde shag with bushy sideburns. He shoots down the remaining member of the German Dawn Patrol before Von Hammer swoops in, and I think when he speaks through Von Hammer or writes through him, Robert Koeniger's a different writer. Von Hammer's inner dialogue is often almost poetic. And as he approaches the American, he thinks, We flew machines, but in our sparring, maneuvering for the kill, we could well have been Roman gladiators. The sky, our arena, and our audience, an audience crying for blood. And as he opens fire on his opponent, my spandos chattered insanely, but my opponent's twin vickers stayed silent. Spando and vicar refer to the gun manufacturers on each pilot's plane. Von Hammer interprets his opponent's silent guns as his being out of ammunition, which is true. The American on the biplane, marked with two crisscross pistols and an S, must have pumped all of his bullets into Von Hammer's downed comrades. Well, bullets? This pilot don't need no stinking bullets. The Hammer of Hell is shocked when the American pilot, obviously without any regard for his own safety, attempts to loop right into and collide with Von Hammer's tri-wing. That little maneuver didn't work. Time out, time out. Let me say, I feel like I've been saying the word maneuver a lot in this episode, and considering there's more dogfighting to come, I may say it again, but maneuver is a very loaded word for me. Every time I use it, I flash back to the sixth grade. That year I made the state spelling bee, but I was eliminated 
by the word maneuver. It was devastating. I've never written or typed the word since, but I am not creative enough here to come up with a better synonym. So for now, the <clears throat> maneuver didn't work, and Von Hammer managed to gain kill position behind the American and escorted the yellow plane down to the ground. Emerging from their aircraft, the pilots introduced themselves to one another. Von Hammer, perfect posture, straight as a rod, and more relaxed, contraposto stance, quote, outlandishly garbed, as Von Hammer thinks to himself, is Steve Savage the balloon buster. And as Savage is taken into custody, Von Hammer thinks to himself, recognizing the reputation of this famous pilot, and he's thankful for the fact that someone he considers a worthy adversary has been spared, at least for the time being, from the killer skies. Issue 182 of Star Spangled War Stories has another killer Joe Kubert cover, with the enemy ace once again showcased in the lower quarter, guns ablazing. In Chapter 2 of Hell's Angels, Conniger performs a neat little trick as the narrative is picked up from Steve Savage's point of view. And this is signaled by the chapter title, The Maverick Ace, which is Savage's secondary nickname, akin to Von Hammer's Hammer of Hell. The chapter opens with Savage in German custody, and with an invitation from Von Hammer to dine with his officers that evening. Savage thinks to himself, inferiority complex to the fore, that Von Hammer knows he's nothing but common trash. And the customary invitation to an enemy captive was though gentlemanly, nothing but a game with rules. This train of thought follows Savage to the dinner where Von Hammer toasts Savage, wishing him good luck now that the war has ended for him. And he's doing so with seeming sincerity, though the gesture may be lost on the American pilot. Savage scoffs to himself about the disconnect these officers with their ceremonies and fancy drinks have with the men on the front lines. Savage had served in the trenches where there were no games and no rules. But for a brief moment, Savage seems willing to play along. He rises as if to return Von Hammer's well-wishing. But then, something the enemy ace would find unthinkable, Savage tosses his drink into Von Hammer's face, quickly grabs a gun from Hans's holster, and shoots his way out of the hall, smashing through a window right onto the airfield. A young pilot just outside on the runway has a plane all warmed up and is ready to go on night patrol, but he catches sight of Savage and lets loose with his guns. This isn't the first time, though, that Steve Savage has brought a pistol to a dogfight. He stares that plane and pilot right down on the runway, blamming away with that pistol as he thinks to himself his poor old pappy left him nothing in this world but the ability to use a gun savage manages to kill the young pilot unceremoniously dumps his body from the plane and takes off just missing von hammer's head as the german had just made the scene and the look on von hammer's face in a wordless panel he's angry and i get the sense this anger is rooted in savage's break with decorum even more so than the dead comrade at his feet. 
Well, what lies between Steve Savage and a successful, daring escape? A trio of German observation balloons, a Steve Savage specialty. He fires hot lead into gas-filled death traps. It's kind of grisly as we see observers, armed observers, falling from the baskets and flames. And just as Koniger has imparted a, a stern poetry on Von Hammer, he lends a certain earthiness to Steve Savage's inner dialogue. Referring to the balloons, Savage thinks, Maybe I don't know what fork to use like the Rittmeister would, that's Von Hammer, but I sure can spear sausages. Consistent in his carelessness, just as his attack the previous day spent all Savage's bullets, his weakness for blowing up balloons spends all of his fuel this time. But that's not too much of a problem. He sets down in the French town of Croy, just a few miles short of his own home field. He even knows a young lady there, and as soon as he lands, he's got a relieved Celeste in his arms. Celeste received a report that Savage was missing, presumed dead. But the Maverick Ace pledges to set his comrades straight, dot dot dot, in the morning. On that very next morning, Savage awakens at his airfield to a scenario mirroring one in the first chapter. A lone pilot, this time Von Hammer, wreaking havoc on enemy territory. The distinctive red triplane is destroying fuel tanks and grounded aircraft. In a method of communication that seems pretty common if you've read previous enemy ace or even balloon buster stories, Von Hammer drops a boot to the ground with a written message inside for Savage. A challenge to a duel tomorrow at dawn in the skies above no man's land, the space between enemy lines. Well, the balloon buster is up for this challenge. Though he's scheming. He plans to show up a little early, lying in wait to ambush his enemy, Ace. I love the little next issue blurb so far at the bottom of the last page of each chapter. They're bracketed by two little emblems. Standing in for our characters, there's an iron cross for Von Hammer. And the crossed pistols over an S looks kind of like a belt buckle, which I think is a, a cool little attempt at branding the Balloon Buster. It never caught on, much like the character, but the attempt was there. Bravo, Frank Thorne. final chapter called To End in Flames. Conninger switches back to a Von Hammer point of view, so under a Joe Kubert cover, which this time doesn't feature the enemy ace at all, even though it's my favorite one of the three. A real knockout featuring the unknown soldier dressed in Nazi officer uniform 
ducked in shadow behind an open door, pistol in one hand, a human face-like mask in the other, just about to be found out by a cohort of kraut soldiers. Real stunner. To end in flames, though, opens the night before the fateful duel. Von Hammer passes the time the only way that seems to give him any peace. He's bird hunting, accompanied by his only friend, a lone wolf. Von Hammer finds it hard to concentrate on his prey, however, when he aims his rifle. All he can see is an image of Steve Savage. Von Hammer is still fuming over Savage's complete disregard for what he calls the gentleman's code. He says goodbye to the wolf, and at his quarters the following morning does the same with his valet, presenting the man with his own boots as a birthday present, given early should he not survive this showdown. Von Hammer takes off in his plane into the dark sky of the early morning, but he's startled by a fiery explosion. A giant zeppelin on its way back from an English bombing run is under attack from a lone American spad. It's Steve Savage, of course, passing the time before the duel in the only way he knows, busting balloons. Von Hammer meets his foe, and the giant blimp becomes their battleground as they zip around its falling, flaming carcass. The planes manu- The planes fly away from the zeppelin, and the pilots find themselves in a game of chicken on a collision course with one another, guns ablazing. It's actually Von Hammer who blinks, and he swerves out of the way, as he does, describing how he's thrown his Fokker into a strut-straining, wire-popping roll. Some more of that great language. I, I know, deservedly, Sergeant Rock is known as Conniger's greatest DC war co-creation. He's certainly the most enduring. But it's stories like this, pa- passages like this, where Von Hammer's internal dialogues are so evocative. I can't help but wonder if Hans Von Hammer can give Frank Rock a run for his money in the pantheon of Koniger's heroes. The pilots keep swapping out their positions on the higher ground, each gaining a momentary advantage in the kill position, but neither can yet land that fatal shot. Savage leads Von Hammer through some cloud cover into a trap, a squadron of circling British bombers. A couple of these get a few good shots, and the Hammer of Hell finds his plane aflame, but he dives straight down to the ground and pulls up at the last second, the speed extinguishing the fire. He soars back up toward the now exposed underbelly of the balloon buster, and Von Hammer lets loose with all his ammunition. Savage's plane begins to disintegrate in midair, and as it crashes into a river, a fiery wreck. Von Hammer speaks to himself, calling Savage a, a worthy opponent, claimed by the killer skies. Was Steve Savage a goner, though? In a two-page epilogue, obviously some time later, a group of nurses attend a completely bandaged figure, think the Invisible Man or negative man from the Doom Patrol. They listen close to what their patient is mumbling, and we can read it's a defiant Steve Savage. He's asking, When am I getting out to fight that kraut on hammer again? And a caption box reads, Will it ever be 
the end? Well, the answer to that is yes, but not for some time. What a great little three-parter. Typical of enemy stories, it's always odd to have the, the hero of the story, a soldier, pilot, whatever, fighting in a war for a side not your country's own. Germans in war comics, as I alluded to before, were almost exclusively the bad guys. It's even stranger here, as the American character in the piece is almost... You've got to almost perceive Steve Savage as, as the villain. He's the one who breaks decorum. He's the one who cheats by showing up early to the duel. And he's the one in that most comic villain type way vows revenge at the end of the day. It's an interesting inversion for a war comic with the German being the good guy and the American being the bad guy. But Conniger and Thorne, they pull it off. I've kind of already talked about how much I like the way Conniger gets in the ace's heads. Uh, but it's a great looking story too. Now, even though I associate Thorne with, apart from this story, his tomahawk stuff, I think he's probably best known for his work on Red Sonia. His has got to be one of the more definitive takes on that character. Good girl art in an action setting at its best. Uh, but in this story, chock full of dudes. Uh, we do have Celeste in a cameo role, but this is a story about men. And in it, Thorne excels. His planes look great. His action is lively. That scene where Savage throws the drink in Von Hammer's face is one of my favorites, I think, in all of comics. This three-parter has been collected, one of the few Balloon Buster stories that has. And it's even been collected twice in the Enemy Ace archives. And in black and white, in the Showcase Presents the Enemy Ace volume. These two pilots would get a chance to renew their rivalry about ten years later in this very title, though uh, by then it was called The Unknown Soldier. And I honestly can't say it ends any better for old Steve Savage, but if you're interested in checking out round two, uh, unfortunately it hasn't been collected, but you can get a taste in the form of some blog posts at imthegun.blogspot.com. I think if you click on the Enemy Ace label, that might be the best way to pull those up. Uh, on that blog, you'll also find some images from this story, so I encourage you to head over there if you're at all interested. The master list of very cool people includes Al Sedano, Cash Flag on Twitter, and host of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, Alexandra Wucka, Benny RT2, Bob Buster, Chris from Bat Books for Beginners, Comics in the Golden Age, David Jorgensen, Dr. Ange from the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary blog, Eric G. Blackmore, Greg Arujo, Jason Minier, Jeffrey Brown, Jennifer DeRoss, Kurt Fleischer at Cap'n Flash on Twitter, Laurel at Mountainflower1 on Twitter, Leigh Yura, Longbox of Darkness, Michelle Denuse, Min, Myrna Loy Love, Nocturne Table, Orca, at Vikewar on Twitter, Paul Hicks of the Waiting for Doom podcast, Paul Williams, Professor Frenzy of the Bat Books for Beginners podcast, Reggie, co-host of the Cosmic Treadmill podcast, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Russell Rosenkilt, and Vinicius Carrero. I'd also like to say that uh, the last 25 episodes or so of this show would not, could not, have been produced without the support 
and encouragement of Darren Ruth Sutherland of the Rad Adventures Podcast Network, host of such excellent shows as Trekker Talk, Warlord Worlds, and Xenozoic Xenophiles, and Joe Crawford, voracious comic reader, all-around great guy, and poster of things on his Tumblr for the non-discerning reader. So, thank you so much, Darren, Ruth, and Joe. Your friendship and support has meant the world to me and to my little project here. All right, I want to thank you, and you, and you, and you, for listening. This has been an absolute blast. So, take care, and keep them flying.